I tell you not for your comfort, yea, not for your desire, save that the sky grows darker yet, and the sea rises higher. G.K. Chesterton Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare Advancement Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I'm your host. I'd like to thank you all for joining me this week. I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, and if you've been listening, I hope you've enjoyed the prior episodes. If this is your first time, please feel free to like, subscribe, download, all that good stuff. Uh, and if you did not listen to last week's episode, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it because this one is kind of a a direct extension of that one, kind of like a part two. Uh, also, this may be a little bit shorter uh, just because... Um, I traveled a little bit this weekend, and uh, I'm just a little tired. So, but I am going to try to give you guys a good uh, 30 minutes, hopefully. But it might be slightly less than that. So, um, but let's go ahead and get into the meat of this episode. We will be remaining in Southeast Asia, uh, but we're going to be shifting most of our focus to what are today the um, the island nations in the region. Um, with a little bit of a callback to the mainland. And to start that process, I'm just going to remind and reiterate that um, the exact sea levels uh, for this period of time, uh, 8,000 to 6,000 BCE, are not exactly known or they're not agreed upon by scientists. Though we do know for sure that for a sizable portion of um, the Homo sapien uh, habitation or migration uh, of this region, uh, these lands were not, um, I guess, littoral in nature. Uh, what are today, uh, you know, numerous islands, uh, both small and massive, um, they were all a connected landmass that is referred to, to as uh, Sunda or Sunda land. Now, again, there is some debate and argument about the exact point the modern sea level range kind of arose in this region. Uh, now, at the start of our current season, 8000 BC, uh, the process is well underway, and every generation of humans in the area would have to deal with um, you know, steadily rising tides. Now, some say that the levels had stabilized by the end of our current time frame, but others argue that uh, this is a slow process that will continue uh, till about 5,000 BC, so about a thousand years after our current focus ends. Regardless uh, of whatever difficulties the in these environmental challenges posed, these changes were incremental enough that the humans living here were able to adapt, and they did so quite well. Um, Though I think it should go without saying that these changes, as well as the tropical environment, uh, has negatively impacted what material we can find about the humans living in the region. Now, uh, without out of the way, let's return to what is uh, modern-day Malaysia. Now, for those of you that don't know, the modern country of Malaysia is not contiguous. It contains most of the Malay Peninsula, which is kind of extended uh, south, uh, or the southern part of Thailand. Um, 
but it also controls lands to the north and west of the island of Borneo. And this is the third largest island of the world and rests almost in the middle of mainland Southeast Asia, uh, which, you know, you have the Philippines kind of to the north and east of it, and then you have Java, Sulawesi, etc., um, to its kind of like along its south and uh, east. Um, now, Indonesia and Brunei also control lands on this island. Uh, in fact, the name comes to us in English as a likely corruption of the name uh, Brunei. Uh, of course, the English learned about, I believe, the island from the Spanish initially, or, or the Spanish or the Portuguese, and it was probably something that they just picked up from them. Um, in, at one point, uh, the, the Sultanate of Brunei controlled all of the island's coasts and a decent bit of the interior, if not all of it, uh, not to mention a number of smaller islands around Borneo. Uh, now, that being said, the origin of the name Brunei is not as clear. Uh, though I read an excerpt of a book... Um, I have my notes here. Hold on one second. I know that it was uh, written by a woman named uh, Amelia Lenier. No, no, sorry, no. No, she was the translator. Um, I forget the professor's name. Uh, I didn't write it down in my notes. It's um, it's Devian uh, was her surname. Uh, but I forgive me, I've forgotten her first name. I'll, I'll think of it. I, she's French. And I vaguely remember it was hyphenated, so uh, I'll keep thinking of that while we go ahead. Um, but it was a very interesting read, and I'll, you know, uh, I do recommend it. Uh, but the name of the book is Brunei: From the Age of Commerce to the 21st Century. Now, she related a story uh, that the name came from the founder of the Sultanate finding the uh, river estuary where he wished uh, to move and said uh, Baruna, which is uh, melee. And it can be translated in a few ways, but if in this situation, um, it would be something like, um, this is it, or there is the place. Um, there's some more etymological stuff that we'll get to later, but I think the last thing I should highlight when it comes to the island's name is that the uh, Indonesian people... Uh, that live there, and again, they control most of the island, I think around three-quarters of it, uh, they refer to it as uh, Klimatan, uh, and this is supposed to derive from the uh, Sanskrit Kalamanthana, and that can be translated as burning weather, uh, which, you know, just due to its tropical nature is, you know, probably where that came from. Uh, and if you're wondering how Sanskrit came to be uh, spoken so far from uh, India, we'll get into that later. Um, but it's uh, this region sees a lot of in-migration from uh, outside places that we'll talk about uh, later. Uh, now, um, on Borneo, the most famous archaeological site is the Nia Caves. And this is located in the Nia National Park. And this is a UNESCO site. And remains in and around the cave cover a very vast time period. Uh, with most recent dating to around 3000 BC. And the oldest dating to around 
38,000 years ago. And most of the tools show kind of a continual tradition uh, with standard advancement you would expect to find as time went on. You know, uh, blades becoming smaller and more specialized, uh, and then, you know, the stone becoming polished and finer, um, and that those uh, styles would become more popular uh, as time goes on. And then, of course, they're all made with local material and with uh, kind of similar local techniques and finishings. And that, of course, uh, shows that they are separate from the Haobinhian culture of the of the Southeast Asian uh, Peninsular mainland. And this shouldn't be surprising due to the ever larger uh, ocean. <laughs> um, now, uh, these people were also apparently very brave hunters. Uh, there is evidence that in addition to standard hunter-gatherer type game, you know, smaller animals like um, uh, wild pigs and boars, uh, they were also hunting uh, tigers, believe it or not. Um, now, if this was something done actively, or if they just did this when they had the opportunity, say if they came across an injured tiger, or if, you know, if the maybe the animal was asleep, or was being distracted by its own kill, um, they may have taken advantage of it in that situation, but, uh, we don't know. Now, uh, there aren't nearly as many tire bones, obviously, that have been found as other animals. So, again, it's probably not something that is uh, very common that they would do, or at least something that they were probably not always successful at. Um, but whatever the case, uh, the exact uh, nature um, of the relationship with the tiger at this early time frame, uh, the animal becomes a very powerful symbol on the island. A number of uh, peoples and kingdoms will, you know, make a very big deal of uh, the tiger as a symbol of power or uh, religious prestige, that kind of thing. Um, the Borneo tiger is now also widely thought to be extinct, um, but there are some native groups on the islands who claim um, that they still live very deep in the jungles and mountains. And, and that is something that is, is possible. Um, this would, of course, be a very small number, as tigers were already very rarely seen uh, just before the Europeans show up in the region. So, um, you know, they were... They had dwindling numbers, and it's possible they could have already been extinct. No one's ever gotten a picture of it. It wasn't recorded in any kind of um, European science uh, manuals from those time frames. Um, they weren't recorded the same way, say, like the dodo or the Tasmanian tiger was. This is something that was never very solidly um, believed. In fact, I think some people even thought it was a myth. Um but, you know, they found bones. And then there are also Javanese tigers on the island of Java, Java, excuse me, which is to the southwest of Borneo. Uh, they're thought to have been related, and they obviously got kind of separated uh, by the sea in the same way. Um, but, yeah, so um, there may be a missing uh, Bornean tiger somewhere. Uh, but I'm kind of uh, 
getting off track here. <laughs> so, um, oh, another prominent site on the island is um, Sang Kulirong Mangkali Hat Karst. Uh, and this is a group of caves on a peninsula on the Indonesian side of the island. So these two locations are separated uh, by the island's numerous mountain ranges. They kind of run almost uh, diagonally across the entirety of the island. And it separates Malay, Borneo, uh, Brunei, and Indonesia um, in some ways. They still meet on the coast, um, but it's, uh, it's a very rough terrain and it's hard to navigate through, uh, even today. Um, so there's a lot of that island that hasn't been explored. It wouldn't surprise me if we run across more of these ancient sites. Um, Mangkalehat uh, has not been added to UNESCO sites yet, although they did submit applications for it to be added. Um, there seems uh, to be a certain level of similarity between the artifacts in the two locations through all the periods of habitation. Um, uh, Karst does not appear to have been occupied quite as long as the Nia Caves. Um, it, it's, it, it doesn't show use, at least we don't have evidence of use until I think around 3,000 years after uh, the Nia Caves Sea uh, use began. So not quite as old, but it lasts to around the same time period, which is around 3,000 BC. Now, uh, in terms of who is inhabiting these places, um, I do want to go back to uh, last week's talk. Um, oh, 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 I just remembered the author's name. Her name is Marie Sibel de, uh, I'm going to butcher her last name, but uh, Viennet. Uh, and that is the, again, Marie Sibel de Viennet. Uh, and she authored uh, Brunei from the Age of Commerce to the 21st Century. That was that was her name. Uh, right. I'm trying to remember. Oh, yes. So, uh, who is living in this region? Well, um, I mentioned last week how they had found a set of remains, two sets of remains, um, that actually had usable DNA. And they were... Um, one was found around, I believe, 7,900, 7, BCE, uh, and the other was a little bit later, around 5,000 BC or so, um, and how they had done genetic testing, and they had uh, found that they were very closely related to a couple of, um, uh, I guess, uh, what are considered uh, indigenous people uh, by the Malay government, um, and I made it sound like that just those indigenous hunter-gatherers were related to um, those people. And um, I, I think I mentioned enough, but I, I don't know if that was 100% clear. So most of the people that are you know, not immigrating like within the last you know, couple hundred years, like so your native... Um, your native indigenous groups, uh, the Malay people themselves, they're all related to those remains that have been found in those regions. It's just a question of how closely related 
Um, I think the 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 Malay people themselves. Um, I think on average they share about ten to fifteen percent of like the DNA, and um, that's true even of the people on um, uh, Indonesia as well as um, Brunei, uh, which. Uh, the Brunei speak Malay. They are an offshoot. Uh, their country was like founded by a uh, group of political exiles from what is now Malaysia. Or, and um, So there's a lot of genetic overlap between the peoples living in this region. Uh, but some have more, I guess, uh, intermarriage or intermixtures with people from either South Asia or East Asia. And we'll talk about more about that later when it happens. Um, but they're all, to some extent or another, descended from these early uh, Neg- Negrito ancestors, uh, cousins to the Adamanese. Um, of the people living on Borneo, I believe that the people that have the most um, in common with those older DNA strains uh, they are the Dayak people. Um, and this is, uh, I believe, the largest native group on Borneo. And they they occupy places both in what is Malaysian territory and Indonesian territory. I think altogether they make up around 5 million people or so. Um and they have had a lot of intermixture with um, uh, Polynesians uh, and uh, South Asians as well as East Asians. So um, just uh, keep all this in mind. Um, even though they're descended from these early uh, Negrito people, they've also had a lot more intermixture, say, than the w- groups I mentioned last time. I believe the uh, Siang and... Uh, was the was the primary one so they are um there are a lot of you know people who are in the area now that are descended from those original inhabitants um i'm not going to go into too much detail on them just yet because again there's a couple of thousand years where they have had a lot of cultural influence um but if we can kind of get some things, I guess, make guesses about these people that may not necessarily have been imported from their interactions with East Asians or South Asians or mainland Southeast Asians, they do have their own traditions and things like that. Um, and we'll go into this a lot more later. Uh, I know that there is, um, they did practice forms of, uh, body modification. Uh, I think they, some tribes they have will elongate their earlobes. Although I know that today they use iron bangles to do that. So possibly they were using stones to do that at earlier dates, but it's, it's hard to say when these type of traditions arose. Um, These traditions, in fact, could have arisen as a way to stand out and mark themselves as different from the uh, later uh, inhabitants or settlers to the region. 
car backfire. Don't worry about that. Um, yes, but so there are a, a number of Dayak people. Uh, and they, of course, have sub-tribes, but they are, you know, um, they're a very, um, very interesting group as a whole. And I look forward to talking about them uh, later. Now, uh, there are, of course, other large islands in the region. Uh, Java is uh, the next probably most populous, I believe, of the, the big Southeast Asian islands. Uh, no, excuse me, sorry. Java is the most populated of the Southeast Asian islands. Uh, it's, um, it's not nearly as big as Borneo. Borneo is the largest island in Asia, and uh, Java is the most populous. Um, now, um, there isn't much in terms of these very old archaeological locations that I was able to read about in Java. Um, I don't know if that's because they haven't really looked up, uh, or I, they haven't begun like these kind of large-scale um uh, archaeological surveys. Um, we do have evidence that um, Homo erectus uh, was obviously on the island. I believe that uh, Java Man, uh, I think, which was uh, was uh, I think the first uh, or no, it's the oldest hominid fossil ever found, uh, and that was of course found on Java, and that was in the late 1800s. So uh, a lot of archaeological research in Java, as far as I'm aware, is kind of dedicated to that very ancient uh, period uh, and those very ancient hominids. Um, it's very probable that a lot of the Homo sapien, uh, I guess, uh, early habitation stuff might be underwater in the region now, uh, just like I'm sure that there's so much loss kind of in that region um, but that is not to say that we don't know anything about the island. It's a very uh, rich island in terms of biodiversity, much like Borneo. They have a lot of similar kind of animals. Um, we already talked about tigers, but also there are um, leopards on both. They all kind of have their own small regional variants. And I think it's safe to say that humans are kind of experiencing the same... The same process in evolution if socially if not uh you know biologically um and i think that you know these are obviously uh this isolation is causing a lot of um differences to slowly start to come about uh again at the start of our time frame these islands are probably locked off from each other um course the humans there are eating fish and things like that uh, we don't have a whole lot of evidence of travel between the islands just yet but that is something that will be happening more and more as time goes on um, you'll have travel not just from outside of these islands but also between them um, and uh, java is a very uh, important place in terms of um 
agriculture for this region. Uh, it's very rich. Uh, they, they are able to support a large population. Um, I think over 140, 150 million people live on Java. Um, and so there's a lot of, uh, you know, that you can do to make, um, make life habitable here. Um, despite the fact that, you know, it is, it is just, um, an island and, um, you know, like India, a lot of these places are kind of at the mercy of, uh, monsoons and things like that. So, um, that is something that these very early human ancestors are having to deal with. And again, uh, these early inhabitants are probably all, uh, similar, um, this, uh, similarly related to those remains that have been found in Southeast Asia. Just, you know, with a couple of, uh, you know, 10,000 years or so, uh, with direct separation, maybe a little bit of, uh, interaction via, uh, trade or, you know, sailing between the islands, but, um, at least from the period where the sea levels really start to rise until around probably the next... 3,000 years or so after uh, our current time frame, so around 3,000 BC, um, they're more or less probably isolated on these islands with a little bit of interaction, a little bit of sailing, uh, and then there's going to be kind of an explosion of travel and uh, colonization and settlement from other regions. And that's something that we'll get into, this kind of, again... Um, interactions between uh, agricultural groups and these traditional human hunter-gatherer groups. Um, let's see. Uh, Java, Borneo, those are the main islands to talk about. The other islands in the in the region are uh, important as well. Um, I don't... I couldn't find, again, any record of any kind of archaeological surveys that cover our our current time frame so i'll kind of not worry about them for now but um I'm trying to think if there was anything else oh um i guess i can go over the etymology of uh java uh this is one that's a little bit more um uh, mysterious uh there's there's a couple of theories one is that the island was named after um Jawawut, which is a plant um, that was um, supposed to have grown on the island right around the time that um, the Indians from the subcontinent uh, began to kind of seek out trade with the location. So it's just prior to Indianization. Um, and... Uh, yeah, there are those that say that it had different names. Uh, it's possible it could be rated, uh, related to the word Jao uh, or Jav, and it's um, it basically meant distant. Uh, or it could be related to the Sanskrit, uh, Yava, uh, which means um, barley, uh, which the island was very famous for growing at certain periods. Uh, and in fact, uh, Yava... Uh, Sorry, Yavadvipa is uh, mentioned in the Ramayana, uh, and it's a very kind of um, 
uh, it's kind of it's tied up in this uh, mythological story uh, where Rama is looking for uh, Sita, his his wife, um, and it's kind of a reference to that um, that uh, that Java may have been uh, the island that uh, shows up in certain parts of the of the Ramayana which we talked about that in uh, Sri Lanka. Uh, Rama goes to a few different places uh, in search of Sita, his wife. Uh, and there are several places that, you know, are given that name due to the similarities, you know, with the story and the actual truth. And that's one of those things that I always feel like is um, really interesting when you talk about the study of mythology. Um, but Java itself is going to become very famous even outside of India, um, much like uh, Borneo. Uh, the Chinese, I believe, have their own kind of uh, language and travelogues talking about the island, um, just like they do with Borneo. Uh, but it's, I believe that the Greeks and the Romans were aware of Java as well. They at least heard of it and had like stories about them. Uh, which I don't know that they had any about Borneo. Uh, I don't. I'm not familiar with Borneo showing up in any um, Greek or Roman sources. Um, I guess it's possible it could have, but it, its name wouldn't have been anything like that. Um, but yeah, um, I think that's a. I think that's a good place to stop for now. So. Just to kind of summarize, um, the descendants of the um, Hohalbian, uh, I guess, group, or the predecessors to the Hohalbian, they were, you know, they were all very closely related. They occupied Sundaland. they were probably, you know, right in between India and um, Australia in terms of migra- migration route. Uh, but once the seas started to rise, you know, you see them get cut off for each other for a time. Um, you have these small isolated groups begin to develop uh, a lot more uh, radically from each other. Uh, and then it kind of sets the stage for... Um, travel and trade to reappear mm, again probably in the next 3,000 years or so if not sooner uh, that that's going to start happening um, and then after that you will have a period of uh, migration into the region from either East Asia or from uh, islands to the north um, Taiwan, the Philippines that sort of area uh, and then, of course, that mainly happens in um, uh, mainland Southeast Asia. And then on the islands, you have this, uh, these maritime groups coming from, again, what is probably Taiwan, probably the Philippines. Uh, and then later, uh, the groups from the southern uh, or South Asia will begin to move into both regions um, and then there's a back and forth between these uh, groups that had settled in the region before uh, this kind of um, South Asian interaction. 
uh, and they are having to deal with uh, expansionist neighbors to the north and to the uh, to the west. Uh, and then, of course, they all have their own interactions with each other, uh, and you know, between island to island, tribe to tribe, um, and that's going to make it very complicated to dive into all of this uh, later. But um, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking to give it give a nice deep dive in this situation. Uh, it's a region I'm not quite as familiar with uh, until later. And even in the parts that I am more familiar with, uh, it's not it's not quite as clear to me. So I do look forward to kind of studying this and sharing what I've found and hoping that you guys will enjoy it as well. But yeah, so um, next week we will be um, diving into East Asia. Um, and we'll be talking about some of the groups that are about to start migrating south and on the islands. So I hope you look forward to that. Uh, and then once we finish up with uh, East Asia, we'll talk about um, uh, kind of the Asian steppe, North Asia. And then we'll return to Australia. And then we will go to Europe and from there into the Americas. So uh, we're getting we're getting close. But um, East Asia should take a couple episodes to get through. Um, so not quite done with uh, season three just yet but we are making good progress um now i do need to kind of go over the schedule um i have some stuff coming up on the uh week of the 20 uh no the 25th uh i have some stuff that prior weekend i should be able to have an episode out for you guys a regular one but if not, you may have a couple of bonus episodes back-to-back because that next week uh, is the July 4th uh, kind of super weekend, for lack of a better term. Uh, the July 4th is on a Tuesday this year. Um, I will be out of town starting that Thursday, uh, and I will return that, that Tuesday afternoon. Um, but I am going to try to have a nice little bonus episode recorded ahead of time um topic will be a surprise but it's not going to be a serious academic topic it's going to be one of my review topics so i hope you look forward to that i haven't done one of those since october uh and i'm kind of looking forward to uh, something a little less uh, intellectually challenging uh for that and i hope you guys enjoy but um so there might be a brief like serious episode delay at the end of this month, start of next, um, but I'll I'll have something for you guys, uh, something for you to chew on. And uh, July's a long month; uh, there will be uh, five episodes then. So, uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, any feedback, constructive criticism, please let me know. Uh, you can reach me at waradrevpod at gmail.com or you can contact me via direct message on Twitter. Uh, my DMs are open. Uh, and then you can also comment on any of the YouTube videos uh, and I will respond there. And uh, please feel free uh, to like, subscribe, whatever you do on whatever site you listen to. I am looking to kind of 
get these numbers up. Uh, it's been a, it's still been a very successful year so far. Far, far more successful than I thought um, possible when I started this. I was stunned when I got a thousand downloads in my first year, and we're already looking forward to smashing that number. Uh, if things keep going the way they've been going. So I want to thank you all so much for listening. But yeah, you have a great day and a great rest of your week. I'll see you next time. Goodbye.